Morning, Jane. Good morning. How are you doing? Good yourself. I'm fine. Okay. Uh, how's the weather over there? Staring out the uh, window in my bunker. Yeah. I have yet to be outside, though. You have yet to be outside, but you're in the beautiful eastern townships, no? I am. I've got this horrible glare, but that's okay. That's okay. How's Montreal? Uh, same weather as over in the eastern townships. It's beautiful. The sun's very hot, but you know I'll take a nice hot sunny day over a humid rainy day. And I was just outside doing some uh, cleaning up some wood and sorting out things in our shack to try to organize my chaos that is my basement and whatnot. You know, doing renovations. Okay, we need to make a mutual pact to get out and do sun other than organization this afternoon. Today, Sunday, after your interview and a couple more interviews, then I have my niece's birthday party. And I think we're going to be in the, in the backyard with like pool and all the, the little blow up castle and things. So at least I'm going to get some sun <laughs> later. That sounds lovely. It's, that it's, sounds lovely. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, so I was I was going through your all your information you sent me. I was going through your website, and I loved your bio. You have a great bio. You have an extensive travel history, which I'm gonna uh, have to um, relate to my my buddy who who loves traveling. And you're a first generation Canadian. Your parents were literally off the boat from Norway, and your mother was your father was from Norway, and your mother was from Scotland. Inga. My father was almost born on the boat on the way to. Ooh. On the way to uh, Montreal. From where? Uh, Italy. Ah, okay. Oh, the land of good food. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just keep reinventing their pasta and calling it a different name. Oh, I know. My sister-in-law is married to a fellow who was born in Italy, emigrated to Canada with his family. And we got the absolute joy of going over to stay with them at their farm in um, southern Italy. It was Calabria. It, I mean, it had everything. They had the one pig in the barn that became next year's prosciutto. They had <laughs> almond trees, olive trees. It was great. It was fantastic. And yes, I'd passed away. I'd never had it with chickpeas. Who'd heard of that? Yeah, there's there's some uh, Italians that love pasta with chickpeas. Yeah. I dislike chicks, chickpeas uh, very much because my sister overuses them, but everybody has their own taste. My wife, her parents, well, her mother was, was born here. Her father was born in Italy, and then he came over... Ooh, I want to say maybe 18 and he had a stint in Uruguay. But anyways, my wife's first language is Italian, even though she was born here. Ooh, lovely. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my Italian is very, uh, I understand it to some degree, depending on which dialect I'm listening to, but. Well, that's already way more sophisticated than me. You can tell different dialects. That's <laughs> rather remarkable. Are you passing it on the language? I really emphasize that to my wife. That you need to speak to our daughter in Italian. I will work on the English and French. She's going to start with daycare. But, but we expose her all books. We have, uh, we read to her every night. We have French, Italian, English books and we do everything. And my, my in-laws speak to her in Italian. So, um, she understands like, That's uh, perfect. if you go, if you tell her, we're going to go, we're going to go come, we're going to go have a bath. She totally understands. She'll walk down the hall, uh, not walk, but crawl down the hall and, into the bathroom and it's pretty interesting to see the uh, when, it, when it starts clicking. My dad wouldn't speak Norwegian to us. 
And because he was of a generation where, you know, post-war and he wanted to be a good Canadian. So it was English, English. And I kind of feel that I got shortchanged on that one because I missed the chance of having dual languages as a kid. My little ones are fluent. They just switch back and forth, French, English, French, Uh English. And it's just glorious to see, except now they're talking French between the two of them. And so... I've got to step up the game and go to more of my French classes because pretty soon I'm not going to be able to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you say that, though. Growing up, having, well, we're a French province, but growing up, I grew up in the English community. So French wasn't really necessary or it was kind of, there was still that French versus English language divided, right? So mm-hmm. the English community was very like, no French, and the French was very like, no English. Yeah. And my father never spoke Italian to me. My grandparents, um, maybe they counted with, to me in Italian a little bit, but they, they threw in English. They didn't really teach me, teach it to me. And French, so French wasn't a strong point. And Italian wasn't a strong point. So I got, I grew up speaking just English and French in, um, in elementary school growing up wasn't very, uh, well, not to knock the English school boards, but earlier on when I was younger, it wasn't very, it wasn't a concern. It wasn't a big issue, right? As it is now, or now they teach French everywhere in all the school boards. Um, we got a little bit a week, but um, it's only now that I that I met my wife and I we moved we moved well we live we live in Laval now, but I'm in Montreal every day and I'm back and forth. But uh, I, I speak to my neighbors and we have French conversations with, about the Canadians and all kinds of stuff. And so I, I get to practice my French with my neighbors and it I love it. It's it's fun. Um, I speak like a total English person, but. Um, <laughs> you know, that's good. And then, you know, try to pick up the Italian as I go. But the more things change, I guess. That's right. The there more things go. change, right? But anyway, so enough about yeah. me. We're going to talk about you. You got some pretty cool, interesting stuff. I got your website open. I got your bio open. I got all kinds of stuff. But first, we get into before we get into your writing and everything, I imagine that your 20 years of travel uh, history experiences really uh, impacted your writing and everything that you like put into and put into your book so you traveled to europe scandinavia middle east asia you've been you've been all over so you left in 1998 so tell us like day one you got up and you just left you're like i'm going <laughs> no i did run away once in university to go to europe for a while but that didn't last as long as i'd like no i had i have a family um my husband got in england he got a job in england and we all trailed after him and as the kids became incredibly independent and, and bogged off and did their own things at university and the like, I just started popping around the world. I mean, they, and when they'd have half, they had half terms in England, right? So they would have these great week holidays in the middle of um, October and then again in the spring and then the Christmas holidays. And so my husband was always working. So I would just hop on a plane. I'd go to Iceland and do research or I'd, I don't know. Uh, one day we were having, I shouldn't admit this on radio, we were having company and I just couldn't face any more visitors. So I hopped on a plane and went to Nice for a week. <laughs> and I just <laughs> submersed myself in writing. I thought, yeah, you can deal with it. It's not my side of the family. <laughs> but it was, it was great. So yeah, I, I, um, the other thing about traveling when you're living in Europe is it's so much more affordable. Yeah. So, that trip to Nice, it was 99 euros. Wow. I can't get to Toronto from Montreal for 99 euros equivalent. No. So it, it just seemed crazy not to do it. So we just went everywhere. And yeah. And then depending on where you're posted, um, you know, popping around from place to place just becomes even cheaper. 
Yeah, Europe is really it's great for that. It's close to everything. I mean, just the just the network of trains to, to go Ooh, country yeah. to country, right? Like uh, my yeah. friend was telling me all about it. He was he went Spain, he went here, he went there, and he just travel, 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 and it's affordable. Unlike here, you can't even get out west in Canada or even to Toronto for a reasonable price. Like it, how, we can't oh, even travel right. in our own country for a reasonable right. price. But sorry, I was just going to say it's a yeah. shocker um, when we moved back to Canada after all that time. I don't know why I ever assumed this, but I just thought, well, I, I love my little, my place in Eastern townships. I, I love my neighbors. I love everything. That, but if I want to go to Montreal, basically have to drive. Yeah. And I'm not used to that because I've had public transport for 20 years that took me everywhere and there's no trains, but it's convoluted to get it. Anyway. Yeah. I get it. Quebec is lacking. I mean, we have the metro system in Montreal, but it's it's really it's Montreal, and it's not even connected to all the prime areas. There's a lot of like it's not a, it's not out west in the West Island of Montreal. They they need a metro system there. We have it to like the southern part of Laval, but it doesn't go to the south shore of Montreal. We need some kind of monorail system that goes north south, south north, east west, west east to connect. Eastern townships to, uh, let's say, Saint Jerome or a little bit higher, just for like those speed travels. Not not a multiple stops like the metro, but just like you know, a couple junction points where people can just get up and go and say, you know what, I'm going to Montreal and I'll be there in 20 minutes, no problem. Yeah. But we have to drive, and they complain, and then they cut down the road services. And okay, this is for carpooling, and this is for this, but you don't have the infrastructure, and it takes like 15 years just to build a, a, a like the, like the train. Just, just, to, just to put it together, and they're so backwards here for things. I love biking; is fantastic, and I, I, you know, people can do it and get to work. Great. Montreal's not designed for that, but they put them everywhere. Laval's a little bit better for that, but anyways, I love the Eastern Townships. I, I've, I've spent many, many, many months and years in there with my friend, and it's beautiful. It's nice to be out there with the trees, the forest, taking a walk, sitting outside at night with, even with those mosquitoes, put a nice bonfire out. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well. It'll happen if you want it. Don't worry about it. So you're teaching in Laval or in Montreal? I'm teaching in Montreal. Okay. What grades? This past year, I, I teach children with autism, so self-contained classes. Okay. And I okay. typically do kindergarten to grade three, usually grade okay. two. Depends. Every year we have, you know, different uh, different crops of kids and different needs. And they every year, it's not the same job every year because... They, they turn around and say, well, we have different needs this year, so it affects the two or three classes we have. And then now you're doing this this group of kids or we're going to give you more. And as the government cuts, you get more kids. And, you know, it's it's um, it's interesting. But um, I've also I've dabbled in high school. I've done physical education. I've done, you know, mainstream five and six, three, four. I've done every I've done. I've done everything <laughs> aside from teach French. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. On top of your travels, you you found time to finish your MFA in creative writing. So how and when did you find the time to do that? Because you said you wrote on, you were writing a lot on planes and trains. Were you studying on planes and trains too? <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. Um, some of those flights we took were 12 hours long and did them. I think I was at the Amsterdam airport at least one or two flights a month leaving from there. It was a busy time. Yeah. Uh, where did I find time? So some schools, um, I didn't go to Vermont, but Vermont um, has this. Um, I went to UBC. They have this program where you don't have to attend full time. So you connect online and then you go and you have an in locum um, if you choose to do so in the summer. So that's 
that's when you went and built your writing community and met other writers and met your profs and mm -hmm. yeah. But so, you made it work. Yeah, I made it work. It's a bit of a compulsion writing. I think I, I think I've quit a number of times, but I can't stay quit. So I figured I might as well just give up to it and admit this is who I am. It's, you know, you take pauses in between. You write for six months, not write for six months. Kind of, kind of like my reading. Huh. No, it's constant writing and writing for class. So yeah, there's no quitting. Okay, the quitting yeah. part was when I was so frustrated because I couldn't seem to get a handle on either a manuscript or I couldn't either get an agent or get something published. And then I thought, oh, I, I stink. I'm terrible at this. I should just give up. But you can't give up. So just how she rolls. I mean, have you been with the same agent for a long time? This is my second agent. <laughs> so I would say, no, it's not easy. Um, and you don't. You don't technically need one, especially if you're Canadian, because we have a lot of grant-based industries, and there are publishers to whom you can submit uh, without agents. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go to the big five, which I think is now the big four, you you can't get read unless you have an agent. So if you want the anything in Hachette, Scholastic, um, Penguin, those people won't look at blind submissions. So it just depends on what you think you want to do. And... That was the route I chose, so I had to figure out how to do it. It's a it's a whole school of figuring out how that's done. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, I I briefly looked into it when I was trying to send out poetry manuscripts and the picture book manuscripts that I've, I dabble in. And a couple, oh, got, cool. a, got a couple emails saying, uh, no, we're not accepting. No, no agent. No, you know. And then the pandemic hit, and we're like, no, we're not accepting anything. I just I just recently sent out a um, picture book manuscript for a children's book to a, a publisher and. Maybe I'll hear back from them in three months. We'll see. Oh, when this is done, send me send me a, an email about where you've sent, and I'll send you some ideas of other places to send. All right, I will. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. All right. <laughs> on, on creative writing, but you also got your your bachelor's in education. I I have a B Ed and a BPE. Yes, and so you wanted to be a teacher, and it, or it just <laughs> happened like writing, teaching, traveling. Ah, uh, so so high school. Um, I, I think I told this story recently. I was of a, of the generation that thought Ayn Rand was just awesome. And I subscribed to her newsletter. I mean, this is way back when it, it, the objectivist newsletter. And I was going to apply to the only place in North America who had a combined course in philosophy and physics, a double major. It uh -huh. was at U of T. And I also applied to aerospace engineering, both of which I got into. Um, and I always say that not going probably saved the whole Canadarm project because I am just not that kind of a logical thinker. <laughs> Instead, my guidance counselor was a Queens grad and he said, Oh no, you should take engineering at Queens. So I had no idea what an engineer was, but I thought, eh, what the heck? I wanted out of the town. I wanted to leave and do something. So I went and I dropped out. <laughs> it was definitely not for me. And I uh, faffed around for about six months and I ended up. My father said, basically, if you want me to pay for university, then you should be a teacher. That's a practical job for a woman. And I didn't fight him. I just wanted to get back out of the house and back in university. And it stuck. I never intended to. I have an older sister who's a teacher, and she's brilliant at it. She just It's always what she's wanted to do. So I fought it really hard. But like you said in one of your podcasts, turns out I have a bit of a knack for it. And once you get into it and you have something else that's just yours too, for me, it's the writing, then I found I quite enjoyed it. So I, my thing I do now is, um, I'll mentor somebody. If I, if somebody sends me a manuscript, um, within the 
purview of what I'm, I'm good at. Um, I will, I will happily edit it for free and waive any fees, but I have to read it first and read them. And then if I find out whether or not they're, um, they're good with being edited. They mean, they're willing to take on ideas and, and they don't fight and say, yeah, but I did this because, yeah, but I did it that way because, and then I'm not interested there, but I found some amazing people, um, through Scooby and, and Canscape that way. And that's sort of my way of giving back and keeping my fingers in the teaching pod. That's awesome. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. Have you helped anyone that's uh, eventually gone on to publish anything? Previously, I've edited a lot of manuscripts that have been published and have won awards. One that I've been playing with for the last 10 years with this amazing writer from from Alberta. Uh, I'll give a plug for her book because it's out in a few weeks. Barbara Jones Scott. It's called Taste of Hunger. Oh, I heard of Barbara Jones Scott. Oh, okay. I've seen seen her name. I 100% did this year. Okay, continue. Go ahead. She's spectacular. She was an editor for Freehand for years. She's an old friend, a brilliant editor. This book, if this book doesn't take Canada Reads this year, I'll eat my hat. Send me a hat and I'll eat it. It is fantastic. <laughs> and to boot, it happens to, and I've been looking at iterations of this over many years as she's sort of, you know, faced it, ran away from it and hid from it, faced it again. But it talks about it. Um, it's a multi-generational uh, immigrant saga, Ukrainian immigrants in Canada. So it's a Canadian prairie novel. It's It's got the uh, Ukrainian connection right now. And it's a beautiful feminist piece. It's delightful. It's absolutely delightful. Anyway, not my book, but I'm hawking somebody else's. Yay me. We're, all, we're always <laughs> here to plug somebody else. No problem. <laughs> so you, that's that's great, though. You get you get the mentor people. You get the help out. Obviously, if you're like, if it's not for me, I'm not. It's, you know, I want to waste your time. Go do, you know, I'm not, I'm not for you. And that's great. But you were featured on. On CBC Radio, you you publish short fiction and and poetry and in different magazines in North America and in the UK. What was what was the experience like on CBC Radio? Because I've talked to a couple of people and they've you know they dabble in radio and they they've done interviews everywhere. But um, I always ask everybody, what was your favorite interview or your favorite if you've done like a book convention or something of, of, <laughs> of the sort? I haven't, I haven't got enough done to be a favorite, but I really enjoyed CBC. We were living out in Bread Creek, Alberta, which is not in Calgary. And this was a local CBC. It wasn't national. And the reporter, who has now retired, but was of was quite well known. Anyway, she actually came out to the place and she set it up on the kitchen island. And she taught me the trick about, I don't know if anybody sees this, but how you hold your mouth away from the microphone far enough so that you don't get feedback, but yeah. you're also loud enough. And for some reason, I adore talking. I don't think I want to see myself on video very often. I mean, this is not my favorite genre after a certain age and <laughs> Lack of security about how your looks, you think, yeah, it's not for me, but I love radio and I love talking about writing. So it was a blast and she was terrific. And I think the interviewer makes, makes an interview. I kind of fell into the podcasting on a whim. I started last year in January and I did a couple episodes like uh, as a, you know, pilot and some test episodes. And I'm a heavy presence on Twitter and I talk to people regularly and they're like, you should go try this, this podcasting thing. And I'm like, man, ah, then I interviewed on a couple of podcasts and then. I did it. I did it. And I really like full head on full time job did, 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 did the podcasting stuff until well season one until June. And we're kind of all over the place with different topics, just, just trying to find my voice. And it's like, I like this. And then I started getting um, people asking me, would you would you care to interview me for my art show or my book? And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, let's let's do this. And then now this is where we're at. Now I'm probably hit like 50 interviews already by I crammed them all in. I got three, four a day. Um, Holy smokes. I realized how much I like talking to people. 
Yeah. And especially because the pandemic, where I was missing that, we're you know, you're locked down, you're not really doing anything. But this is this is great because I get to connect with people like yourself that yeah. share all these interesting stories, and I, I really enjoy talking to people. But yeah, it's uh it's definitely an interesting medium. I um I don't think I'd be a great live t- uh, radio host. <laughs> well, the the thing that I I find it it's amazing. I mean, the, the idea of doing these is supposed to be promoting your book, but writing is to me. Somebody mentioned this recently. You feel like you're writing in a silo. Um, because you sit at home alone and then I compound that with the pandemic. To me, it's community. You have to have a community to keep yourself focused and, I don't know, um, <laughs> not depressed about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So reaching out and doing stuff like this, it's a blast. I love it. Yeah, I've, I'm in different communities uh, online for different things. Yeah. I'm in a podcasting network. I guess you'd call it a hockey card or card trading community just for that. You know, like the different, different subsects and uh, they explore all my interests. And it, you're right, though. If you don't have somebody to talk to about something you enjoy or you're doing, mm-hmm. you feel like you're kind of isolated and you kind of, I, I personally, I feel like I go going to stir crazy because my poor wife doesn't want to hear about, Hey, I just got this guy's <laughs> hockey card. And Oh, I'm going to write you about that too. I have two binders full of hockey cards from yeah. the 80s sitting oh, downstairs. Oh, I love, I love, uh, I love hockey cards. I, then not nowadays you can't find. You can't go to a grass sale and find hockey cards at in someone's driveway. Everything's gone. People have bought everything up. But when I was younger, I just loved going to grass sales. Like you never know. You randomly find like a Royal Dalton doll ceramic that's probably worth hundreds of dollars. And you're just like bringing home to your mother. Like, wow, look what I found. Cause she, she collected them over the years. But it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's one of those things just kind of perusing and taking in and having talks with people. But hey, hockey trivia for you. My daughter's hockey coach, she played hockey mm-hmm. from, from Tyke on until we moved to England. And her hockey coach was Lenny McDonald. Oh, really? Yeah. How cool is that? That's amazing. <laughs> no kidding. I love his mustache. Okay. <laughs> Lenny McDonald. Small world. Everybody meets someone somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. Seven, six degrees of separation. That's a little, that's a little, uh, we got a bunch of sidebars there, but we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about your book, which is also featured on your website. How do I say your middle name? Baird. 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 Yep. J- JaneBairdWarren.com. You, uh, you have a middle grade book coming out in October with Scholastic Canada, and it's called How to Be a Goldfish. You've already won me with the title. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm already excited. Uh, tell, tell us about it. Didn't turn you off with a Ted Lasso reference there, right? I hope. (laughs) He beat me to the whole goldfish thing. Um, So it's about, it's told in two point of views. There's a girl, 13 year old girl and an almost 12 year old boy, David and Lizzie. And David and Lizzie are chalk and cheese. He's Star Wars obsessed city boy. And she's, she lives out in a really, really small town, a farming community. And that's where she's at home. And the two of them learn about these plans, the plans that someone has to force this old man, her neighbor, from his farm, from his land, and they decide to become allies to try and stop this. And they discover a bunch of stuff, some family secrets, but the secrets can stop the old man from making out of his farm, but they're going to come at a cost. So they have mm-hmm. to decide what to do. So basically, together, they're going to change everything. And it's, um, I started out wanting to write Escape into, and then I tried to explain this the other day. And then good old Donald Trump got the nomination and terrible things started happening. Um, many terrible things. But one of the things that, that really got my goat was the way 
that transgender um, kids and adults were being treated. And it just struck me that here we go again. 40 years ago, this is the way we were talking about and being afraid of and spreading panic about homosexuals. And it, yeah. and I just figured, you know, guys, in 40 years, we're going to look back and be really embarrassed about the way we as a society treated transgender people. So let's just figure out a way to nip that in the bud. So it sounds, it, it's really a very simple book and easy to read and it's sweet, but I constructed it carefully. Uh, it's set in 1981, mm -hmm. which mind blow is now historical fiction. Yes. So the kid reading it today is looking back and going, Ooh, look what happened back then. That's crazy. But the kids in the book, David and Lizzie are looking back at events that happened 40 years before them. So they're seeing, they're seeing changes, which hopefully makes the reader today see different changes. And I'm not, I mean, this is no Steinbeck book where I expect everybody to, to ask themselves the big questions, but for some readers, they might go, wow. That, that wasn't very nice. Are we doing anything that's not very nice right now? And so that's that was the whole point. Thank you, Donald Trump. Well, well thought out though. How long how long did you work on this story? Hmm. When my first agent was trying to sell my first um, thriller in in America, um, hmm. I started writing this one. It started to keep me sane, and I really didn't know how to talk to an agent or deal with an agent. I thought, oh, I should send her chapters as I'm writing them, and she can tell me how I'm doing. Yeah. Don't do that, boys and girls, if you're listening. <laughs> anyway, she was very nice, and she is actually a terrific gal, and we're still friends and in touch. Uh, but I could tell after a couple of months and maybe 10 chapters that she was <laughs> starting to communicate less and distinctly losing enthusiasm. But I was gaining enthusiasm, so I just sort of wrote her one day, and I went, I don't think you're really keen on this. Should we maybe part company? Yeah. And she said, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. So, uh, boom, I was without an agent. Anyway, I think in my heart of hearts, I would have liked her to scream and beg and ask me to stay, but I got it. I got yeah. it. So, but of course, that, that's when you, you know, beat your breast and pull your hair out and maybe have a little extra glass of wine every night because you're feeling really low. So, but I, you know, that's another time when I sort of quit writing for a little bit, but about a month passed and I looked at the book and I went, you know what? She's right. I need to do something. This isn't working as well as it should. And I just put my head down, um, button chair, and I just started working and working and working. And then, this is where community comes in, I have some really great writer friends. Um, one of them is also a scholastic writer. She's an American who lives in Scotland, mm -hmm. Sheila A. Yeah. And I sent it to her and Angela Cerrito, an American living in Germany. And they both read it, and they both wrote back and said, no, you're ready to try and find an agent. This is okay. This is good. So I did. and. Unlike the first time where I think I sent out 70 queries to get the first agent, this one was, I was, I was locked, loaded, and signed in six weeks. I mean, it was fast. Wow. So that told me it was ready. And I had learned something in that 12 months of uh, quitting writing and going back to writing. That's the yeah. process or the adventure that we have to go through to uh, figure out the next steps of. Yeah. You have to have a thick skin. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah process too is that uh, I let myself grieve. I will fully roll in like a dog in poop. I will fully roll in it and wail and gnash my teeth for at least 24 hours before I say, okay, back on it. Let's go. Yeah. No, that's good. And you're very, uh, you're very resilient. Resilience, nicer than stubborn. Thank you. Yes. Uh, no, I'm stubborn. I'm <laughs> definitely stubborn, but you're like, what you highlight is the fact that you need a network of people. It's important. Absolutely. Like you just need to talk to people yeah. and say, what do you think about this? And especially people who are going to be honest with you and constructive. Yeah, there is absolutely no use in having people just patting you on the back and going, oh, this is lovely. And But you also need the community that's supportive, Yeah. even uh, if they're not 
great commentators on your your writing. They have to be supportive of your process. I found some last year totally by accident. Uh, I happened to have her in the same grad school program as me at the same time, but we'd never met. And she runs this program called Writer Studio. And I mm. thought, oh, I need, I'm stuck in the middle. Of, I need a kick in the butt to get this done. And I joined. It's a subscription. You join every month and you write online. And I thought, oh, I don't need this. I've got experience. I'm really stubborn. But it was great. Her name's Rhonda Douglas. If anybody's listening and they just want to have um, a nurturing environment and the building of a community, I can't recommend her more. Anyway, um, resilient writers. See, you know, you know a good person when they're plugging everybody else but themselves, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that's so. This is something that Kidlet that gave me. Uh, yeah. I don't. I didn't find it as much when I was trying to write literature and poetry, uh, but. I was also a bit of a mimic back then. I wasn't writing as honestly as, as I think I could, but it was more competitive. Kidlet is embracing and warm and wonderful. And man, do we need a little kindness in this world right now, right? So we definitely share do. when you can. Yeah. It won't kill me. You said you published, uh, some poetry in the, in different magazines. Do you have you ever published a poetry book? No, and no. nobody would want me to. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did a poetry. You have to take different genres when you're doing the masters at UBC. You have yeah. to take three different ones. And I was going to do literature, and I knew what I wanted. And I took um, translation, who was fascinating. And then I did Kidlet as just an aside. But then I thought, oh, I'm having fun, so I did poetry. And I did it with Susan Musgrave, who is a wonderful, wonderful gal. But um, yeah, I think I kind of made her cry. Oh, <laughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't yeah. mean to. But. I'm forceful. So I guess my, my big poetry story is tell me to stop if I get. No, no, story. go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. So when I decided I wanted to be, I was going to write, it was because I, I was almost 30 and I was, I had um, six years of university and I was waxing and washing floors and wiping bums and snotty noses. Uh, and I thought I need something for me. I need something for me. So I thought I've always wanted to write. So I, sat down and I wrote a story and I submitted it to the Calgary Herald contest for a fiction contest and it came second. Woo, big surprise. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, maybe I can do this. So after it was published, I looked up um, the Alberta Writers Guild, the Writers Guild of Alberta, and they were having a get-together at Aretha Van Herk's house, a real author's house, and yes. other writers would be there. And Aretha was incredibly kind. She just she said, oh, I don't know you. Took me under her wing, said, oh, no, forget that. What you want to do is go to the University of Calgary and take writing classes. I won't be there next year, but we'll make this happen. And so I sent my portfolios in, and that was the year, bless his cotton socks, Fred Waugh was the the person teaching creative writing. He's won a Governor General's Award for Waiting for Saskatchewan. He's yeah. the Poet Laureate for Parliament. I am not a poet. So when we go to the first day of poetry class, there's 12 of us sitting around this boardroom type table and the manuscripts are stacked alphabetically and I'm a W, so I'm at the bottom and he picks up each one and he goes through the manuscript, flips through and says, ah, uh, Roberta Reese, I chose you for this class because of your beautiful musicality and yours. Then Carl Mead, I took you because of your images and your lyricism or whatever the reason was. He gets to me. I'm the last one. I'm waiting to think, ooh, why did he pick me? Yeah. And he looks down at it. He looks up at me. He looks down at it. He says, I have no idea why I put you in this class. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought, okay. But I knew it was Aretha. And so she was the first community person who actually got me into writing. And I thought, I'm here. I've got to do this. And Fred was incredibly well-tooled in this, this genre. And he was tossing out words I'd never heard of. And we're talking 
we didn't have a big internet like we have now. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm in the library looking up words like, um, well, they're poetical words and I didn't know. So I'm just looking them up in the dictionary. I don't know where to find them. And I realized I know nothing. First class, I have pages of words, terms I'd never heard before. I'm a jock. I mean, where is this coming from? And I just, I just kept with it. There's that old stubborn Norwegian streak in me and I didn't let go and I loved it. So the poems that I did were really, he was language driven. So they, mine were reductive and I used language tricks and I got a lot of them published, but yeah, nobody wants me to write poetry. <laughs> I, I would love to read your poems. Do you have, do you have, li- do you have links to these poems? No. Oh. I, that's back. There's no online back then. No, no snippets of from articles or, or magazines that you put I, on the wall somewhere. I could be brave enough to send you some if you kept them quiet. I will 100% keep them quiet. <laughs> okay. I'm very interested. I love poetry. I've dabbled in it. Um, I'm not. I'm not a poet. I don't. Well, maybe some people you say I am. Are. Some people say I am. I self-published a poetry book on Amazon because. Oh wow! Okay. Well, it was one of my long-term concussion goals, but. I I don't know. I started. I was writing since I was sixteen, and it helps to. It's like um. What's the word I'm looking for? Coping mechanism uh, to to deal with life and stresses yeah. and emotions and stuff like that. Especially as a male growing up, you kind of don't talk about your feelings and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Do you find that poetry lets you? It just the big idea comes out there. There's there is you know if you're going to write a novel, you need a theme. You need a yeah. something that you're writing about, and Sometimes you circle around in a big piece of fiction trying to actually hone in on that. But in poetry, it's right there. There's, there is a poet that I will read and I love. She's Canadian. Her name is Sarah. She's, her last name is hard for me to pronounce. May Shang, Sarah Shang, T-S-I-A-N-G. And just their narrative, but they're little nuggets of, oh my God, I, I keep them close. I want to give the book to everybody because I can't believe anybody wouldn't read this and be able to find something really great about it so yeah so your your book's on amazon what's it called uh, turn off turn off the lights oh sorry turn off the lights no (laughs) that's what it's called oh turn off (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was going to turn off my cube light but okay yeah i'm writing that down i i you know it's just a was a pet project i originally called it um owl's moonlight and it was it was much smaller I went through the process of like ah i'm gonna take this a little bit seriously i did i did some send some uh queries to some publishers and they're like we're not looking for poetry this time or and things like that and then i um mistakenly asked somebody to do the cover for me which i paid for which i shouldn't have and then after i recovered from my concussion or more or less recovered i was like i don't know i feel like i could do this a little bit better and then i i made it thicker i made my own cover I look at it, it's probably not a hundred percent and it's not a masterpiece, but for me it was kind of like that sense of self-satisfaction where like I did this, I feel good about myself and um, you know, and I've probably I probably sold a couple hundred copies on, on Amazon uh okay, between nice. America and the US and Canada. Okay, so just thinking of stock right there, that's amazing. So just by comparison, yeah. I was dead curious about maybe going on and doing a PhD, and I was interested in discovering, t- looking into self-publishing and what that was going to happen. This is like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I took published stories, put them together, and I did the same thing that you did on Amazon. I don't think I sold 20 copies, so way to go you. 
Like I didn't do it for money, right? So yeah, exactly. for the Canadian version, it's at it's practically at cost, and the American version, well, you can you can list a little bit more. So yeah, I, I know a lot of writers follow me on Twitter. I know I speak to a bunch of them that are coming out with books every once in a while. They ask me to Great. retweet their, their their novels and stuff. And there's people on there that really make a living self publishing. I mean, I know Amazon takes a good chunk of uh, of what's going on, but I, I wanted to do it like that. Because it was the easiest and simplest way to do it without breaking my head. I mean, you still got to research it a little bit and figure out how to do it. But um, the process was easy. The process was easy in that if it's the process is easy, you can focus on the writing and not the production of it. There's a number of people who manage to, they call it independent publishing, they're not self-publishing. And there's a number of people who actually manage to do it. But the it's not my nature. I'm not, I'm not a marketer. I'm not good at doing that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, I, I I want an agent. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want to have to to do it that do it the other way. But I am. I I've listened to some uh, Writers Union of Canada webinars where people have been brilliant at marketing their own books. I'm good on them. Yeah, I, I've met I've met people traveling across Canada who set up shop at like Indigos and chapters and local bookstores, and they got their desk and they got their their giant cardboard with their book cover, and they you know and and they tell you about the experience or why they're doing it, and or are they totally just done the marketing themselves and it's not I, I don't believe in my poetry that strong that i would go across canada to market myself and, and, and go in booths but it was a good little pet project and i think I, I might do it again i have another manuscript that i'm working on that i say i'm working on that i haven't touched in months but um it's there yeah i don't know how people manage to do that go and do all these in-person things i mean i'm up every morning 5 five thirty writing <laughs> i just I can barely squeeze my life into a day and write and doing other stuff is wow. Good for them. I don't know how they find time. Cause I can't even find time to clean my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. But yeah. So anyways, uh, your, your book's coming out in October, how to be October a goldfish, October yep. 4th. It's obviously available through Scholastics Canada, but uh, is it, will it be available anywhere else or where can people find it? Yeah, you can you can pre-order even in French bookstores. My daughter is telling me it's available in Quebec. Um, oh, wow. oh uh, Indigo Chapters, uh, Amazon Canada, not Amazon America. Yeah. Um, soon it will be. I, I have a terrific gal who's putting it um, by links on the website with this really cool thing for Canadian independent booksellers, where you can click on the link, put in your postal code, and it will tell you where there's an independent bookseller near you. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're somebody who likes to support them, that should be an option. But yeah, it should be available. Scholastic's fantastic at um, making sure it's out and about and you can access it. So yeah, yeah. go to your local favorite place and, and ask for it. And it should be able to be pre-ordered. Awesome. Which would be awesome. Yeah, even better, right? And <laughs> where can where can people contact you if they want to find you on your social medias? Oh, they can. There's a contact form on my website. And I will promise to check that <laughs> more frequently than I've been doing. <laughs> I linked it to a separate email so that I wouldn't be inundated, and and uh, yeah, we'll see see what happens. Yeah, do you use uh, social media to pu- uh, to advertise or publish or or let everybody know that your books are coming out or your works like Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, Facebook. I'm going to have to be be better at that. Um, yeah. I am on Twitter and Instagram yeah. uh, at JB Warren Two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I put it when I got the book cover. I was so absolutely chuffed with it. I thought it was delightful that I put it up right away. I suppose I should have saved it to do a one month. Oh. An advanced launch, but I'll put it up again because it's really good. Julie McLaughlin did it. She's fabulous. Yes. Yeah. It, Cause you know, in middle grade, a book cover can, can kind of make or break. It catches kids' eyes, right? And 
fingers crossed it'll show up at a scholastic book fair. I don't know if it will this year, maybe next year. We'll see what happens. But yeah, so my, my big thing is new to Quebec and new to this part of the world entirely. I've decided that, um, I'm giving myself a present and I'm going to donate copies of the books to all the English language schools in Estuary in the Eastern Townships and to the libraries, um, in Estuary. I'm not sure how many there are yet, so I may have overspoken about libraries, but at least the, the small English one in our neighborhood. And I'm going to donate some, um, some author visits. So if they want to have a book club or they want me to teach writing in person at the schools, I'm going to donate that. So I'll do that by lottery. I haven't figured out how to, how to go about doing that. But yeah, if, if you're interested, you can certainly find me on my website or on Twitter and Instagram. I wasn't following you on Twitter, but now I'm following you on Twitter. And I will follow you, sir. And when the, when this episode comes out, I will definitely tag you in on oh, Twitter great. and Thanks. on Instagram. My Instagram is it's been on a hiatus because uh you know there's time for everything. But I'm prime I primarily use Twitter to uh you know keep yeah. in contact with people and be silly and all that stuff. So yeah, if you have anything that you want to tag me in, share with other people, tag me, I will gladly share with everyone. Back at you and Scholastic asked me to do the same, so I will let them know when this comes up. And they they are really good about retweeting and publicizing. So yeah, I uh, I have no problem doing that. I do it for everybody and great. Even if it's unrelated to your book, if it's something you like, something funny, whatever the case may be, <laughs> I, I'm all, I'm all for it. Let's say we're going to go back to the Trump stuff and Trump did this and said this. We're yeah, not no, we're no, not no, going to no, retweet no. that stuff, but you know. no no no. However, I do mention him with the book. I probably should stop doing that, but I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying, you're trying to advertise to the Americans a little bit. You're like, Trump, Trump made me write this book. No, I just, I just find it amazing that, that I can think the way I do. And I still realize that he was the one that, that made me go off on this weird direction. But anyway, I will stop saying that. Well, sometimes it's, uh, you never know what's going to give us like that kick in the butt or that yeah. motivation to do something, right? Yeah. Are there any other things you would like to plug in? Do you have any other books yeah. you would like to mention? Oh, I think I mentioned Barb's. That's that was exciting. Yeah. Joan Scott, a taste of hunger. Um, I'm working on a, a new one. I'm working through edits to send to my agent. It's a YA thriller, and I'm kind of in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because it's a, it's a political thriller. It's got a real kick-ass um, main character who's a girl. When I was a kid, I loved thrillers. When I was a teenager, but I couldn't find thrillers that reflected me as mm-hmm. a teenage girl. It was always guys doing all the hero stuff. That's true. So I'm having fun. And then the other thing for me is that I'm getting to play with the places I've been and seen and visited. So the book opens in Rio, in Leblon in Rio, um, and moves up the coast to Maine and America, but touches on all different places, including Palestine and oh, London. Wow. And, and I'm having a ball doing it. And yeah. Sounds rich. Sounds yeah, I'm rich hoping it'll plentiful. be ready soon. That's awesome. Jane, I got to thank you enough to, to come on. This has been a pleasure. I feel like we've, we had a chat in the Eastern Townships over a cup of coffee outside in the sun. You know? Yeah, me too. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Uh, <laughs> I used to I used to be out in the Eastern Townships uh, every month. Now with, uh, with my daughter, I, I think I've been out there once a year to see my friend. But in the future, we'll keep in contact and I'll let you know when I'm up there. That would be great. And thank you very much for this. It was a lot of fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Mr. Mike Podcast. Wrong answers only. Today, we had special guest Jane Warren. Don't forget, she has her book coming out in October through Scholastics Canada, How to Be a Goldfish. 
He's a Star Wars obsessed city boy and she's a small town girl who spends all her free time on her neighbor's farm. Together they're going to change everything. Check it out. Don't forget, follow us on social media, Mr. Mike MTL and Wrong Answers MTL on Twitter and on Instagram. And check out our website for all past and future episodes, www.mrmikemtl.com. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time.